0: Man, I have been going through a thing where I'm watching old Arsenio Hall interviews on YouTube. It's weird. I I think I end up doing this like every few years. I remember I went through the same thing maybe five years ago or something where I just like tore through all of his interviews. Um, I grew up with that show, the Arsenio Hall show. And like, I, you know, I was a kid. So I don't really, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really pick up, at least when you're watching TV, you don't really pick up on like body language and insinuations and um, kind of the vibe of people (laughs) But watching it back. Like not only are there a lot of really crazy, crazy moments where like, um, you know, Andrew Dice Clay like gets up and does a monologue and like, he almost starts crying, but like the audience (laughs) thinks it's a joke. So they're laughing and he's like trying to force out this like very serious conversation about who he is. Um, so, like, there's, like, weird stuff like that that happens. But also, in my mind, Arsenio was always just, like, oh, yeah, he's, like, a really, like, kind of straight shooting interviewer. And he's, like, super nice. And he was always welcoming everybody. But I was watching uh one of the Vanilla Ice appearances. And, um, like, the whole time, for, like, 10 minutes, he's just, Arsenio is just going at Vanilla Ice. Now, I, I don't have, like you know, I'm not like a Vanilla Ice fan. I never was, even as a kid. I was like, I don't, uh, this is not my thing. Um, but like, you know, and obviously you're growing up with him. You know, he got made fun of then. He could still get made fun of now. Like, you know, he, he's had a rough go of it. And he certainly said and done some dumb things that would warrant uh, being made fun of. But when I'm watching it back now as an adult, um, and maybe it's because I'm a father and like I would, I think about everybody as kids. Um, you know, even adults. And when I look at an adult, I think of them as a child and, you know, like they're the way they are now because, of, you know, who they were and what they went through as, as a young kid, He's a child. So I'm watching vanilla ice and I'm just thinking like Arsenio is fucking grilling him hard. Like he didn't say one nice thing. He's just like, well, I heard you did this. That was dumb. And I heard you do this. And don't you think you're a problem because of this? It was like nonstop. And Arsenio's kind of justification was, well, I'm getting to the bottom of it. I'm like a, you know, tough interviewer going after the truth. And some of that is true. You know, he does say some things that like, oh, well, that that's, wow, that's like a very honest, direct thing. And that's good. But he also is clearly not a fan of this dude. And he's, you know, he brings him on his show and <laughs> just fucking tries to tear him apart. And um, Vanilla Ice was just a kid, you know, 20s. I don't know how old he was, twenty. One twenty-two. he's a baby and he wanted to be an entertainer and be successful and he got there and it, it it's his dream however long it was but he, he did it and he's working hard and and he's just everybody's shitting on him all the time and i felt for the first time i like it really humanized him for me and i saw him like damn this sucks but he really like was classy in this interview and he he I don't agree with everything he said. I'll get into it in a second, but like he really maintained his composure. He was respectful the whole time, even while Arsenio was being, you know, kind of rude to him. Um, but like you know, Vanilla Ice comes out, he sits down, and then immediately he calls. He goes, "My homeboy's here," and he calls out Flavor Flav up to the stage, and like they hug and whatever. And then he goes back, and then like later in the interview, he Vanilla Ice brings it up. He's like. Um. yeah, you know, I'm I'm here. You know, my homeboy Flavor Flav's here. And then Arsenio's like, is that why you brought him out? To show that you have a black supporter? And Nella Ice is like, no, no, he's just, he's my friend. He's in town. We're kicking it. And uh, he's like, I wanted to bring him up. And he's, and then Arsenio is like, you know, I would love to have Flavor Flav on the show. And if he had something to promote, I'd be happy to bring him out. But for you to bring him out, if, out of, apropos of nothing is odd. It seems forced. And it's like, that was of course like vanilla ice brought flavor, flavor out to show the world that like, Oh, black people like me. (laughs) It was very, very cringy. Um, But anyway, um, it's do yourself a favor. Take, you know, an hour on YouTube and just watch old Arsenio Hall interviews. Uh, that, Like I said, the Dice Clay one is really good. There's a Steven Seagal one. It's bananas. Where like, Steven Seagal isn't participating in any conversation. Like Arsenio's trying so hard to like ask him and engage him in questions. And uh, everything Steven Seagal... You know, the guy's a douchebag. But everything Seagal is saying is like one word answers or just like not going along with the bit at all. It's amazing. Um, I highly recommend it. All right. Um... Let's start the show. Welcome to BombCast episode 80. All right, thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us again. As you can hear, uh, there was only one voice today, and it's just mine. Uh, sadly, Brian couldn't be here. He got held up with some other stuff. So I am here uh, solo. So you're going to have to deal with that. Sorry in advance for being awkward, but that's just how it's going to go down. Um, you know, He'll be back next week, and we'll have all the wacky shenanigans we always get into. Uh, so what's been going on? Um Well, obviously, some crazy stuff. Uh, Kanye has been continuing to uh, implode and uh, getting crazier and crazier. that's dismissive to say that he's crazy. Um, I don't don't believe that he's crazy. Uh, He doesn't... I I do believe he's an asshole. Not that he never does anything good, but, um, you know, even before the last few years, you know, pre-pandemic or, you know, I, I had heard stuff from people who had worked with him and whatever that said he was not a nice person to deal with um just very selfish and you know megalomaniac and a narcissist and all these things um but that you know that's a bummer but that's in it of itself not really a problem for the world and then you know a few years ago he starts blaming black people for slavery and you know spouting a bunch of white supremacist rhetoric and for me That was when I was like, okay, you know, fuck this guy. This is pretty fucked up and he sucks. And then he starts getting into politics and he tries to run for president. And then I'm like, okay, really fuck this guy. Because now it's not like he's just a weird musician trolling and ha ha ha. That's weird. Or just ignore him. He's eccentric or whatever. He's using his massive platform and deep influence to say terrible things um, and and hurt people and hurt the world and society. You know, when he's saying all this anti-black stuff, like one that's going to hurt, obviously hurt black kids, especially growing up hearing this and and thinking that that he was like a hero. And now they're hearing all this bad stuff that's going to make them feel terrible about themselves. Um, but also, it's a dog whistle to white supremacists who just want so badly uh, for anybody of any ethnicity, any skin color, to regurgitate their bullshit white supremacist talking points. So he started doing that, and I was like, fuck him. And then he, you know, he's running for president. Now it's like, okay, motherfucker, you're now people are going to vote for you because they're stupid or they think it's a joke or they believe that you would know what to do because you made fucking late registration like somehow that qualifies you to lead people it doesn't um so it's like it wasn't a joke because you're taking away that was when trump was up for re-election so now you're you're taking away votes from real candidates at that time you know well i mean bernie got fucked over but like yeah you know nobody they wouldn't elect bernie anyway because he would have actually you know, made real changes and, and helped people in the world. They can't have that. Um, But like, so you're going to take votes away from, and I don't give a shit about Democrat or Republican, but in this instance, it mattered. Uh, and the next one, it's going to matter too. But like, you want Trump to get back in office? You're going to take votes away from Democrats and then that would just increase Trump's chances. So I'm like, you're, you're legitimately putting yourself in a situation to... Make everybody's lives worse, but you don't care because you're a multimillionaire and a famous person. Like, none of this affects you anyway. It doesn't matter really how bad the world gets. That's true for any one percenter, any, you know, rich celebrity that's talking about this and that. Like, that's why they can spout nonsense and bullshit with no, you know, uh, nothing to back it up and and no thought of how it's actually affecting people because they have no concept of what the real world is because they don't live in the real world. They don't live in the real world. They live in a totally different world than you or I. Um, And one where consequences aren't that big of a deal and also troubles aren't that big of a deal because you have the funds and resources to handle anything at any time, no matter what. and And also there's just sycophants around you all the time propping you up. I don't know where the fuck I'm going with this. Um, so anyway, recently, the last couple of weeks, weeks, uh, he has begun saying a bunch of anti-Semitic shit. I'm not going to repeat what he said, uh, but he said a bunch of anti-Semitic shit. Uh, well, I guess I'll repeat a little bit, <laughs> but he does talk about like, it's like the Jews control the black voice and all this stuff and they control everything and... These are quite literally white supremacist talking points that like there's an evil cabal of Jewish people controlling the world. Um, this and if you know you, and if you're still laughing it off like ah, you know it's not, it's just trolling, he's trying to sell a record. That's not true. Um, again, the things we say really do make a difference, and especially if you have a platform like that, because not you know just a couple days later on the 405 in Los Angeles there was a group of Nazis with a banner hanging over the freeway saying Kanye was right about the Jews and they're giving the Nazi salute. There was a, like the week before that, there was um, a like anti-Semitic propaganda flyers all throughout uh, West LA, like just being d- dropped off at doors, like talking about how the Jews are evil and they eat babies and all this shit um yeah fuck kanye west man like i you know and everybody's dropped him he he like uh on drink champs the show with uh noriega he, he was like you know i could say anti-semitic shit and adidas won't drop me and they dropped him he got dropped by caa the largest uh um agency uh in hollywood um he, you know, Balenciaga, fucking everybody, uh, everybody's dropped him. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. Um, but it is very upsetting, you know, for somebody to work so hard, do (laughs) get to a place and then use all of this power, this influence and money, all of it to spread hate. Um, and you know, he's on his cult shit. He's got a school that like you have to sign an NDA to go to this school that he made. Um, you know, and he like spouts that, you know, he doesn't read books. And, you know, it, it's it's crazy, man. People are nuts. Um, like I said, he, he's not a crazy person. He he's uh he's deluded and and uh yeah, I don't know. It's it's upsetting. And it's also very upsetting to see the reaction. You know, people are so upset and up in arms about the anti-Semitic stuff, but it wasn't really like that for the anti-Black stuff that he was saying. Um, And it's, it's very disappointing to see. It's like the level of outrage and it's hard to judge like exactly, well, is this just because it's so much that it's boiling over now? Or is it specifically because it's anti-Semitic? Because, you know, these companies weren't dropping him when he was saying anti-black stuff. Um, You know, Yeezys were still in store when he was saying anti-black stuff. Now that he's saying anti-Semitic stuff, everything else gets pulled. And it's it's very disappointing to see, you know, still over and over how little um, repercussions there are for anti-black behavior uh, comparatively to anything else. It sucks. It's really um, upsetting and sad. And also the message that you can, you know, you can, especially, you know, a lot of rappers make their money by saying horrible things about women or, being really homophobic or promoting r- murder and violence—obviously, um, everybody knows. Listening, like I'm a massive hip hop fan. I'm not saying that's what all rap is. It certainly is not. There's so much more uh, other than that. Um, but obviously, what's getting promoted and what's out there for the you know mass consumption is this type of stuff. But it's the message is it's okay to do all that. Uh, it's it's okay to do that. There are no repercussions for that. Um, but if it's anti-Semitic, then there are problems. But then it gets complicated with like w- free speech and not free speech and then consequences and not... Co- it's very complicated. As always, untangling webs is sticky business. Anyway, whatever. Um, other thing in pop culture, I didn't really know too much about this. This, um, what's his name? Daryl Brooks, Um, who... Uh, last Christmas, twenty twenty one, in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. Uh, after he had like a domestic violence, uh, incident. You know, I I don't know exactly all the details of that, but he drove his car into a parade and killed six people. Um. So the his trial is currently going on, and uh, horrific. I I it. it the the specifics of why this trial is happening are too horrible and and terrifying. Um, I so I, I'm not going to talk about that, and I'm not qualified to talk about that anyway. I will say this: he has chosen to represent himself, and, and this is a televised uh, trial. I'm not watching it uh, closely, but I'll I'll see, watch clips on on TikTok and stuff like that. That's such a, when you say a sentence like that, it sounds so lame and uh, uninformed, which I guess it is. But I am seeing these clips and it's insane to watch this guy represent himself. He has obviously he's not a lawyer, but he's read enough to know that like a bunch of terms that he throws around. um he objects to everything with like no basis and he's constantly getting overruled but he also follows no process or decorum and he gets into like childish arguments with the judge and the judge who i think is hot um she i don't know how like she obviously she gets she gets frustrated but she has been so composed and even and and tries to be respectful to this guy who has no respect or bu- for the court and no business representing anybody uh let alone himself um it's nuts to watch but like he often gets kicked out to an empty courtroom next door because he's just he keeps arguing like a child she'll ask him yes or no questions and she'll repeat the question like 5 or 7 times and he just keeps trying to argue about other shit it's fascinating to watch um, I don't know, like the the details of everything he did, but as far as I know, well, allegedly did. That's you know, there's like pictures and shit. So whatever. Um, but you know, he he, or this the trial. The people who died were kids and old people. Like it's horrible. Um, it's truly horrible. And and. So while you can find yourself laughing at his behavior in the court um it it you you have to separate that from what actually happened it's almost it's very odd like is it, to to parallel these two things, yes, I know why this is going on, and also this is this mockery is crazy and fascinating and kind of funny um but you know it's if i would recommend watching some of it you just you kind of can't believe it similar to how like trump conducts himself where he like throws tantrums and talks shit the way a child does um and and everybody's kind of like what cuz he he just won't participate in like the basic functions and maturity level and um manners of society which is important to do uh but like this dude um brooks will like be in the other courtroom and he's like stacking boxes in front of his face to block himself for the camera and he's like hiding behind these boxes and the bailiffs have to come and take the boxes and he keeps and then he'll say like i can't hear you i can't hear you but then they brought in the bailiff who was in the other courtroom with him to testify and the bailiff is like no we can hear you fine it's just it's crazy it's really really crazy um and real quick you know why manners are important? Um, because sometimes I I feel that people intentionally go against manners as like a you can't hold me down. I'm a free thinker or I'm free and I'm I'm you can't tell me what to do and that's like why I don't have manners. M- manners set the stage for empathy. Manners are a demonstration that you understand that your behavior, your words, your actions affect other people and you are in public tailor them enough so that everybody has an okay time that's what manners are for now there are you know more cultural behaviors or manners that may or may not matter outside of whatever circle is doing them but there are basic rules of manners of you know looking people in the eye and you know please and thank you and you know, not screaming at people or getting right in their face, you know, personal space and things like that. Um, You know, holding the door open or putting your fucking grocery cart away. Like, these are all manners that show that you're considering other people's experience in the world. And that is vital for not only a functioning society, but for everybody to feel, not think, but feel that they're seen, that they're heard, and that things are okay. Even if things are bad in the world we can't lose the feeling around each other that it's okay like we can relax we're safe for a second while we're amongst regular people like that that stuff is so important so when you know if you don't say thank you you don't hold the door open if you're automatically quick to anger and be a dick and you know you're lazy and messy and you litter and you you know that stuff is actually a big deal it really is um This is funny, I haven't done a solo podcast in a long time. I have my own podcast, you know, so B and I started the Bombcast at the end of 2016. And then I think we stopped at like 2017 or something like that, maybe 2000. Yeah, that's probably about right. And then I think we were just stopped for like a year. And in the interim, I started another podcast on my own called PORB, P-O-R-B. You can still find those episodes, they're still there. I think I did like 40. And, uh, it was interesting, you know, the early, earlier ones, I'm like deep in depression. So the conversations are interesting, but the later ones, I'm, I'm a little lighter with it. Um, I did. uh, So if you're interested, you should go check those out too. P O R B porb. Um, but, uh, you know, like the last three I did or the last four, I did three of them were like reviews of the nolan batman movies go check it out uh, if you love those batman movies <laughs> you'll hate those episodes but you should listen to it anyway uh and then i think the last one i read like easter tweets and, and made fun of uh all of that because well you know how i am um anyway what else is going on i i saw oh man i don't know if you guys have been watching this show on hulu called the patient holy shit um steve carell And, you know, I'm trying to do a thing um, where I don't leave out actors or artists' names. So I'm going to look them up. Um, So the show is called The Patient. It's on Hulu. It's just one season. Uh, I think it's 10 episodes. I think that's right. And um, Steve Carell, he plays a uh, therapist, a psychologist along, uh, the other co-star is this guy named Domino Gleason, who's a murderer and, uh, excuse me. And, um, he has, I'm going to spoil it. Okay. So spoilers. If you haven't seen this show, uh, spoilers. Okay. Um, so just be warned, uh, you know, skip ahead. I don't know. Five minutes, ten. Five minutes, ten. Minutes. No, seven minutes. Skip ahead seven minutes, if uh, if you don't want it spoiled. Um. So Steve Carell, uh, as a patient, has this guy, um, Sam, and one day, Sam kidnaps Steve Carell. Alan is Steve Carell's character's name. Sam kidnaps Alan. And ties and locks, it, chains him up in his basement, in his house where his mom lives. He lives with his mom, this guy, Sam. And his mom is like, all, you know, a very broken woman. And she knows her son is a murderer, but she can't, she won't stop it. And, and uh, Sam tells Steve Carell that you have to do therapy here. Because I want therapy every day, and I'm not getting better, and I don't want to be a killer anymore, and you have to fix me now. It's an insane premise, Um, and it's shot very slowly and carefully. And um, Steve Carell is a father; his wife has died of cancer. He has two kids. Um, He's Jewish. The whole family is Jewish, and they were fairly religious. And the son becomes uh, some sect of Hasidic or whatever, but. uh, he and his wife hate that cause it's, you know, it's very culty. And um, so, it, you know, it, there's like flashbacks and flash sideways of, of that relationship. And, but essentially um, Sam is just a crazy killer and killer. And he like brings food in and they do therapy. And um, at a certain point, Sam starts telling Alan, like, there's this guy who owns a restaurant and he was rude to me and I want to kill him. And, and Steve Carell is like, no, don't kill him. And you come to find out that Sam as a child was beaten so horribly and severely and, and daily by his father. And it turned him into this thing, this monster. And um, so Sam is trying to follow Steve Carell's advice. And then one day he snaps, he can't take it. And he drags this uh, shop owner, this restaurant owner, in the, the basement and kills him in front of, he, he locks him in a room for like a couple of days and then one day just drags him out and kills him in front of Steve Carell. Um, it's so intense. And the mom knows what's going on. She comes down, she knows Steve, she's met Steve Carell chained up and she's like, you know, my son's a good boy. I can't turn him in. And Steve Carell's like, you have to. This is terrible. Blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, Steve Carell will have these dreams. Um, where he's in a therapist's office sitting across from another therapist uh, who's played by David Alan Greer, who is wonderful. Everybody is great in this show. Really, really great. Um, so that is Steve Carell kind of trying to figure out how to get out and bouncing ideas off of David Alan Greer's character named Charlie. This goes on for a while. um, it goes back and forth and, and at a certain point Sam kills his boss and uh, then S- Sam starts telling Steve Carell that like, this is not, you're not working, you're not helping me, I'm not getting better and uh, I'm, I've reached out to my high school counselor and he's going to be my therapist starting next week and uh, basically I'm going to kill you in a week once I am ready to start with this other guy. Super intense. Uh, meanwhile, Steve Carell has taken like this um, ointment tube, you know, this metal ointment tube, and he's been sharpening it, the edge, trying to think of like how he could escape. And uh, at a certain point, you know, Steve Carell and Sam are talking and Sam comes to the conclusion that like, oh, if, if I kill my father, I'll get it out of my system and I'll stop being this way. So he goes to his father, he almost kills him and then he stops and he comes back and Steve Carell is like, well, hey, it's working. It, it's worked. you. I'm proud of you like you you wanted to kill him you were on top of him you were going to kill him and then you didn't that shows you that this is working it, it has worked you have changed and then Steve Carell is like look this is this is huge our therapy is is over I, you have to let me go and then I want you to come into my office and and f- resume for normal therapy every day obviously he's saying this cuz he just wants to get the fuck out of it um and then Sam like leaves and then brings in a chair and a refrigerator. And he's like, no, uh, we can continue here. And then Steve Carell realizes like, he's never going to get out. There's, there is no escape. Um, he's never going to get set free. He's never going to be let go. There is nothing. There's always going to be more that, you know, Sam wants a new father figure and Steve Carell uh, has, has filled that role. So there's no way he's going to get out. And, um, it's really heartbreaking cuz Steve Carell had this huge rift with his son and uh you know the his, his wife the son's mother died of cancer and there was a huge rift at that time too. So there's all these really like deep and um intense family moments and themes in this show. And uh essentially it gets to a point after that where Steve Carell realizes like I'm never getting out of here. So he writes a letter to his kids, and he, you know, tucks it away. And then the next day, he calls the mom down. Sam is upstairs. He calls the mom down, or no, the mom comes down to bring him breakfast. And he grabs her and he holds that sharpened metal tube to her neck. And he calls Sam down. And he's and he had told Sam the day before, like you have to turn yourself in. The only way you're gonna stop killing um, is if you're in custody somewhere. Like you need to be in a mental hospital so that you cannot kill again. And, uh, and he's like, if you don't, he, he's like, either you let me go and either you call the cops and let me go, or I kill your mother. And then you kill me. That's because I'm not going to be your therapist anymore. And I'm not going to live down here forever. Um, Sam lunges forward. And then you see Steve Carell, like dig into her neck. Then it cuts to this scene where Steve Carell wakes up on a couch and he's surrounded by his family and they're at dinner. And then they even reference like, oh. Were you dreaming of something when you were away? So you think like, oh, this is a flash forward and he got away and they're all singing the song. And then you see sitting at the table, David Allen Greer, and you realize he is not free and he is passing out. And then it cuts back to Steve Carell and he's being choked by Sam and Sam kills him. And that's, and you think like there's going to be some, this can't be it. But that is it. He does die. And uh, the kids get the letter. And then at, at a certain point, I'm still talking about it, guys, in case you're coming back. To give me 30 more seconds. I'm still talking about it. Uh, and then at a certain point, uh, the, the kids get the letter explaining what happened. They find you know in their father's handwriting. And um, it's very heartbreaking. And then Sam realizes what he said was true, that he's not going to stop. And he chains himself up in the basement. And uh, what a show! Okay, spoilers over. What a show! Um, it it was bold and unexpected, and uh, heartbreaking and beautiful. Um, terrific performances. It's quiet and solemn and scary. Uh, not scary in the way that, like, you know, a horror movie is scary, like Alien or something like that. Um, but it is it's just frightening you know emotionally where it goes and and the situation is scary um but boy, oh boy, do I recommend it? The patient on hulu uh so good, so so good I'm um, really, really a big fan, I will probably watch the series again uh yeah, I like it um, so yeah, check that out uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about. Um Clerks 3 came out. I am a big Kevin Smith fan. Um I always have been. Um you know everything he does doesn't necessarily hit with me, but most everything he does hits. And I I'm a I'm a fan. I really am. Um you know I, I, chasing Amy was or Mallrats was the first thing I saw from him. Um, you know, when I was a kid, when that came out, so, you know, that type of very silly, raunchy humor with heart, um, I loved so much and, you know, it was heavy comic book laden stuff too. I, I grew up reading comics. I still read comics, uh, but it was great. And then, you know, uh, chasing Amy blew my mind. I was in high school. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Forget about what you think about like, oh, he's saying lesbians need men. That's not one. That's not what he's saying. Um, But it was such a great portrayal of the feeling when you start a relationship and everything is amazing. And then when things go sour and that tension and um, disappointment and resentment, that feeling in that movie is amazing. Despite like how great it's written and you know it's visually it's really cool to look at and you know, the soundtrack is good, um, those feelings that he managed to put on paper and then put on screen, which are two very different things, were really amazing. And then I went back for Clerks and I was like, holy shit, Clerks is amazing. Um, and then you know everything else, Dogma was amazing, and and I really love Jay and Bob Strike Back. It was very very silly. That's a slapstick comedy. Um, but it was fun and and just super silly and and enjoyable. Um, and then I probably lost a couple in the middle where I didn't see some stuff and and then uh, Clerks 2 I really enjoyed. And uh and then I remember listening to his pod one of his podcasts, uh Kevin Smith's podcast. For those of you who don't know, he has a lot of podcasts and he's been podcasting since basically podcasting started. Um but I, I can't remember, was it Smodcast? He does a podcast with his friend and producer, Scott Mosier. And they were having a podcast and they were talking and they started talking about this story, like they're making up this story based on this ad they read, like a uh, kind of like a recycler ad. Recycler is not a thing anymore. Uh, but that was like a, <laughs> you used to be able to put ads in it to buy stuff, or is it like what Craigslist is? um anyway and that podcast the idea that they laid out out in that podcast turned into a movie Tusk and uh I love that movie it's an exploitation film and it's awesome it's a horror film with Justin Long um and uh Justin Long and um Michael Parks and uh it's fucking awesome Johnny Depp is in it as well and, uh, it's so good. Um, it's completely absurd and, uh, it's just, it's, it's really awesome. It really is. And then he put out red state and fuck man, red state. He did like cop out and, and Zach and Mary make a porno, which I, I also enjoy those too. Uh, they're very fun. And, and Zach and Mary is, uh, very heartfelt, and and also touches on the, the similar stuff that happened in Chasing Amy. That type of feeling of you know um, falling in love, falling out of love, falling in love like that type of thing, um, which is very nuanced and super tricky to write and to and to put on screen. And and he he really has a way of doing it. Um, he gets these performances out of these actors that feel very authentic. I know a lot of people criticize him for his dialogue sometimes and 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 I understand that. Um I, I get that. Uh but, you know, still the emotions he gets across and like kind of the the feeling in your gut, you know, that twist when things just feel so fucked up or shitty or whatever and it it was almost good and now you're potentially losing it or you do lose it. It's really great at that. Anyway, uh Red State is a horror movie, and holy shit, that movie is incredible. Um, really powerful and intense, super intense. Uh, religious cult stuff. It's so fucking good. Okay, Clerks three. Um, I knew he was making it, and I was kind of like, initially, my initial feeling was like, why? You know, um, I thought you were done with these characters, and I, I felt like Clerks two was. It had a, it wrapped up in a happy ending and it was very sweet and beautiful. You know, Dante gets married to the amazing and beautiful Rosario Dawson. And, you know, he, he and Randall buy the Quick Stop and uh, RST video. And uh, it was good. It was like, great. So, Clerk's Three starts and uh, they're running the Quick Stop. And so my initial thought was like, man, I don't know why, but it started and I was honestly, I was kind of glad to be with these characters again. Um, I did feel when it starts, I did feel that like some of the dialogue felt um, forced. Sometimes I feel that he, in his newer movies, he leaves no space between characters speaking and that's what makes it feel unnatural sometimes. Um, if this does not last through the whole movie, I, I felt like maybe the first quarter or first half was like this. And then maybe he was trying to cram a lot of story into that first half. And then on the second half, it opens up a little bit and there's a little more breathing room and it feels uh less forced. You know, when you're watching clerks, even though there is a ton of dialogue, clerks and Chasing Amy and Dogma, Red State, these movies, uh, Zach and Miri, there is more space between the words. And uh, I I think in general, I think people respond to that. One, it allows for actors to emote more, um, but it allows you to take in the scenery. It allows you to uh, feel weight of words. So anyway, in this, my initial thought was like, okay, it's it's a little forced uh, and that's a bummer. And I also felt that you know a lot of a lot of us will tell will make fun of ourselves like before somebody else can do it, like if if for example, I'm a musician, right? So if I put out a record and I make jokes about the record, or if on the record, I make silly sounds to like let you know like I'm not taking it very seriously, so that way, if you don't like it or you shit on me for it, I can for me or even publicly say like, yeah, well I didn't, you know, I made jokes about it too. You know what I mean? It's like it kind of cuts. Uh, it takes the sting out of something preemptively. And I feel like in this movie, he's putting in kind of some random jokes. Kevin Smith has, has written in some random jokes that don't belong. And that he's doing that as a way to take some of the weight of the movie away so it doesn't seem like it's so earnest and this is just my interpretation i have no idea if that's true it just kind of feels like some of the confidence was lacking in the beginning and like he wanted to present it in a way like well if you don't connect with any of this it doesn't matter because it's a silly comedy like it's like a jay and bob but if you do then it's a chasing amy it felt like it was straddling that thing and it's unfortunate because this movie is really beautiful truly um it deals with themes that are so moving and and um heartbreaking um you know this loss of People that you love. Like, you know, in this movie, um Becky, uh Dante's wife, Rosario Dawson, is dead. And um, so he, it's dealing with his grief that he's not expressing, uh, which, you know, we can all relate to that and and how hard it is to exist, let alone move forward with that type of grief. Um and so it's dealing with loss of people, it's dealing with loss of time, like realizing you're you're at a certain age. And fuck, did I miss? Did I miss the good part? Did I miss my value and my worth? Did I waste it? And then also, like the loss of um, friends, the loss of career, the the fear of losing your life. Randall has a heart attack early on. Um, and he almost dies, which, you know, Kevin Smith uh, had that experience. He was doing a comedy show, and he had a very, very, very serious heart attack and almost died. Um so that you know this stuff is coming from a very real and genuine place. It's so it's dealing with all these things, it's dealing with having to settle uh with people having to settle with career ha- having to cope with the fact that well uh, this is what I have to, this is how I'm going to ride this out and I don't know if I'm particularly happy about that. So a lot of like midlife crisis type of uh emotions which you know at 40 I i get it i get it and um it's it's hard man it's the the stuff with rosario dawson is fucking brutal man because she visits dante in his imagination when he's at her grave and when he's in front of movies and like it's harsh um so there's all these other themes of like moving on so he's trying to dante's trying to move on from the loss of his oh and she was pregnant with his child um it's hard man it's it's hard uh you guys know i've talked about a lot on this show that like you know as a father like anything with kids you know it, it's just harsh it's hard to to see and, and hear you know i'm a single father so it's like all, all day every day i have just fears of something happening to my son or something happening to me and i can't be there for my son and what would my son's life be like if i wasn't there with him and for him and um you know i so there's all that um it's, it's, uh, so, you know, Dante is trying to move on from that loss. And at a certain point, he realizes that his friend Randall is very selfish and he needs to move on from him. And, and Randall is so focused on making something of his life that he's not considering what he's making other people do for him and what he's turning their lives into. Um, so, the, you know, there's all these things that we all, have dealt with or are dealing with or will deal deal with that make this movie super heavy and um and and uh, beautiful and poignant and impactful um, those are words that like I always want to use with movies because I want that to be my experience even if you know if some movies can just be dumb entertainment of course um, but like if it's and I like everything to be personal if it is personal i I want those things give me give me that give me friends and people facing mortality and leaving friends and 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 feeling like your life hasn't meant anything and what do you do about that? Is there anything to do about that? Is it even possible? Give me that stuff because we're all dealing with that, and I kind of feel like no matter what level of success you're at or what you think you've achieved or felt you have or haven't achieved, you're still gonna feel that way because we don't know where we came from. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what happens when we die. We can have hopes of what happens, but nobody has any fucking idea. So to have those conversations in our art, uh, in our interpersonal relationships is so important, you know? Um, So it's like my close, close friends, those are the conversations I'd like to have. You know, I had my friend Rob was over the other day and we're hanging out and that's the stuff we're talking about. And we're both kind of lamenting about how it's difficult to connect to people who can't have those conversations, who look at you weird when you're like, uh, you know, yeah, whatever. But, you know, one day the sun will explode and the earth will die a cold, frozen death. So I guess nothing we do matters. Everything you've ever seen, touched, felt, smelt, you know, imagined will be gone. You know, but people can't talk about that. It's weird. So I like a movie that is dealing with what if I don't matter? Um, and then in that finding, well, you do matter. And it doesn't matter to how many people or how big you perceive your impact to be. Um, you do matter. And, and that's enough. So this movie touches on all that. So when I said that, you know, I feel like some of it, the dialogue lacks confidence by forcing in some, some awkward jokes that don't belong. That's what I felt that it was, tr- it was taking away from. Not that I needed this movie to be like all somber, because he, you know, he he is a comedy writer. So he, he's funny. And there is funny shit in this. Um, there's this scene where, <laughs> where uh Randall's in the hospital and um Dante and uh Elias, Elias is back from Clerks 2. Um, he was like the super Christian dude. And uh he had prayed to God for something to happen and it didn't happen, so now he's a Satanist, which is funny. But he's so he's in. And he's praying to Satan. They're like, if if Randall, since God won't help me, didn't help me, didn't answer my prayers, I'm gonna pray to Satan. Satan, if you save Randall, I will be your servant. And uh, and there's something something to the effect of, um, I have to fuck Satan. And then like, so he like takes down his pants and in, in the hospital. And Dante's like, chill out. He's and then Elias is like, no, I have to fuck Satan or I have to let Satan fuck me. It was very funny. Um, and there's another moment where. So Randall ends up being okay and then decides he's basically, you know, reenacting Kevin Smith's early life, you know, where he decided to make Clerks. So he's like, I want to make a movie about us and blah, blah, blah. So they're making Clerks in, they're making Clerks 1 in Clerks 3. It's very meta. (laughs) Anyway, there's a part where they're filming outside or something like that, or they're arguing outside. And uh, Jay, Jason Mewes, Jay, he's next door in the video store. You can't see him. And it's just a shot from outside and they're arguing outside. And then Jay like bust open the door (laughs) and he's like, shut the fuck up. It's nighttime. And I don't know why, man, that made me laugh so hard. Like, I I guess like the, the dopiness of it, like it's nighttime (laughs) and then, you know, juxtaposed with the shut the fuck up. It really got to me. I liked it a lot. Um. So anyway. Uh, and I'm going to spoil this too. Obviously, I've been spoiling it. Um, there are some weird choices. Justin Long is back. He's like a nurse in the hospital and for some reason is doing a weird accent. And again, for me, it's like, okay, well, it, it it just takes me out. Like, this is all serious stuff and you can make jokes, but like, you don't have to make the characters caricatures of themselves also. Like, you can let the dialogue be funny and stuff like that. It just, whatever. Um, it, I didn't enjoy that stuff and i wish you know someone who was involved or you know could have said like hey you know this might be taking away from how good this movie is um because i feel like it was so you know ultimately um (sighs) randall and dante have a big falling out and then during that process uh randall has a heart attack. And he dies, which was foreshadowed right in the beginning. Um, he dies. And uh, it's sad. Randall is there, and he's playing the movie for him on his hospital bed while he's dying. And, you know, for me, that dying in a hospital bed is a fear. I don't want that. Um. You know, all I really want in this world is a house for my son and I. I want to be able to go on one vacation a year. And I want to die an old man surrounded by my son and his family. That's all I want, truly. Um, Any aspirations I have about, I'm a teacher. I'm a very good martial arts and boxing and personal trainer and a teacher. um, And I'm a musician and I want more success. In those areas but ultimately all i want when it comes down to it all i want is a house a vacation with my son every year and to die old in my house or his house surrounded by him and his family that's all i want man so you know for me seeing this character who i've grown up with you know these clerks for whatever it is, 20 years, 30 years, whatever however fucking old that movie is. So. Um it was scary for me to watch Dante dying on this bed while Randall is crying next to him. It's sad. And um and it cuts to, you know, Dante is in a theater and Becky comes in and they're sitting there and he realizes that he's dead. Um very beautiful moment. And then they, they leave together before the movie's finished. He's like, I, I don't need to see the rest. I you know he, he's, he's made peace with the fact that he's dead. He's made peace with um, moving on and letting go. And also accepting that the world will move on without him as well. Um, which, which I feel is something we all, whether we know it or not, we all, we carry this pain with us that like, because we have experienced death, from our loved ones and we know that we move on and, and you know, that people will move on too. And while it's sad that you're leaving them, it's also sad that they're leaving you. Um, and, and, and that feeling comes across, uh, in this movie. And in, in, in that scene, it was, uh, you know, with, um, Dante Becky in the theater, it was, it was done well. Uh, it's, it's really beautiful. It truly is. I'm getting all choked up. Um, and then at the funeral, it was you know you get to see. I'd recently like a couple of months ago had gone through the whole comic book men series. You know, it's like Pawn Stars, that pawn shop show, but in a comic book shop, and it's Kevin Smith's comic book shop. In Jersey and uh, you know, his friends Walter and Brian and and Ming and Mike and they run it. And I'd recently gone through that whole series again, which I really enjoy. Again, as a comic book nerd, and you know, it's just it's just fun. Um, so it was cool seeing those guys and uh, you know, like Ralph Gorman is in there's a bunch of like Kevin Smith world people at the funeral. It's very sweet and touching. Um it's always nice to see Kevin Smith in pants. <laughs> he was in pants. Uh at a certain point in the movie, uh, as as Bob, um, there's also another part I, I forgot to mention. In the, in the quick stop, there's an uh, an Entman's display at the end of the aisle, and I don't know. I feel like I feel like he meant it, but I don't know. But for me, this is a Seinfeld reference. You know, <laughs> they're not a part of a grocery store. They're not a part of the market. They have their own display at the end of the aisle. It was cool. I liked that a lot. Um, and then during the credits, the song, uh, there's a song playing for about half the credits. And then in the latter half of the credits, Kevin Smith is talking about, you know, this experience making this movie and, and, you know, what it means and all this. And I, I love that type of stuff. I love an artist who not necessarily will explain their work, but who doesn't have, who, who will make it personal. That's what I love um, you guys, you know, when Brian and I talk about stuff, obviously I'm always going back to like, I want vulnerability. I want, I, I want a personal connection to the artist. I, I want, I want vulnerability. That's all I want. That's how I live my life. Very vulnerable. And I, I let people in and I'll see, and they can see and whatever. And that's what I want when I, when I'm, uh, consuming art. I want that vulnerability from myself. I want it from the artist. So I always love it uh, when that happens. And and Kevin Smith just talks, and it was really sweet. Um, he he's an amazing storyteller. Whether whether you are a fan of his movies or not, um, his ability to talk, to talk story, and to and to communicate verbally um, is really amazing. Uh, you know, years and years ago, when the I have the, the an evening with Kevin Smith DVDs, it was like two uh, two DVD set. Which I watched over and over and over. I watched again a few months back. Um, His ability to tell stories is incredible, truly, Uh, like really, really amazing. Um, So I love listening to that man talk, and uh, I really, I liked this movie a lot. Uh, Like I said, it meant a lot to me. It's not without its faults in in my uh, eyes, Um, but those are small. Quibbles, in comparatively to the overall experience and what I took away from the movie, and uh, I find those things, those themes, to be very therapeutic and uh, beautiful. So, props to you, Kevin Smith. Um, yeah, thanks, man. I, I I appreciate it. Appreciate the work. I don't know. I guess that's it. I haven't rambled by myself in a long time. Like I said. Um, I think I'll wrap it up. Uh, oh no! Wait, a couple more things. Uh, the new Ty West horror film, uh, slasher film, Pearl. It's a prequel to X, which also came out this year. Uh, it's fucking amazing! I'm a huge Ty West fan. Um, you know, last uh, or the House of the Devil, the Innkeepers, um, X. Uh, what was the other one? Sacrament. Um, he's fucking awesome, and Pearl is outstanding. I I loved it. Um I I highly recommend you check that out. Anyway, um I'm not going to go into it cuz that's, you know, it's a slasher movie and you you uh you just got to watch a slasher movie. It's fucking awesome. It really is. Mia Goth is a force, man. She really is something special. Aside from being super hot and everything, she is um really intense. She, yeah, really really great. Great acting, shot beautifully, great music. Um Yeah, I I highly recommend that. So if you're going to watch some things, uh, do as I say. The Patient, Clerks 3, Pearl. That's what you got to watch. And uh, while you're at it, rate and review on iTunes. When you do that, it helps us get bumped up in the algorithm so we can be exposed to more people, uh, which would be helpful. Also, uh, follow us on Twitter at BombCastPodcast. Uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, at Graham Baker, and my Twitter, at Graham Baker, and uh, you know, Instagram, at uh, Instagram Baker, TikTok, at Graham Baker. Just, you know, follow me on all the stuff. I've been doing these uh, 60-second self-defense videos where I give very helpful self-defense tips. Some of them are physical, some of them are mental, some of them are practical, like everyday stuff, Um, and I do it in 60 seconds. So you don't need to invest your entire life, as I have, into the martial arts. You can learn some good shit in 60 seconds. Um, that'll do it. And, uh, we'll be back. B will be back next week. So we'll see you guys then. Peace. The Bomb Cast